good morning. Let's stand all over the house this morning. Let's sing this old hymn of the church, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Father, we just already began to feel your presence already moving in the atmosphere. And Father, we are so thankful for the blood of Jesus that has come and it was shed on Calvary's cross for the remission of sins and for our salvation. 
Father, as we get ready to segue into a different portion of uh, service today, Lord, with by giving of our tithes and our offerings, Lord, I pray you would bless the gift and the giver. You'd play, bless that you would, those that have to give and those that do not. If there's someone here today that would love to give, Lord, maybe at this time they can. Lord, I pray you would bless them so that at some point in time they could show how much they love and appreciate all that you do for them. Father, let every amount of money that is taken in this house today be for the upbuilding and the edifying of the kingdom of God. Let every song that is sung, every word that is spoken, every scripture that is read, God, let it be done, Lord, to bring glory and honor to you and you would inhabit the praises of your people. And God, that you would just come and make residency. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. Come and make residency with us in this house today. For that, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said amen. 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 Will you meet and greet each other in the Lord during this time? God bless you. seats this morning. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord today. We're so glad to have you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I love the buzz, the sound. I love to hear God's people fellowshipping together. I love it. We want to uh, get ready here before scripture and prayer and we get ready to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to just uh, take a few minutes, give you some housekeeping items 
uh, of some things we want you to uh, be aware of. It's so good to see so many of you. I know some have been out for various reasons with sicknesses and uh, dealing with uh, coughs and, and sinus infections and all kinds of you know croup and crud, as we call it in the low country. They don't know what they have. They just have something. And uh, it's good to see so many of you guys back uh, and uh, feeling better. I know some are still on their way. They texted and said, we're on our way, we're on our way. And I said, well, we'll stay here, so you can come. We're still here. Um, but uh, I'm so glad. I know some are still sick. But uh, main things I want to know, you know about, you know, um, please be mindful if possible to just uh, silence your phone so it's not a distraction. Um, you know, we would prefer you to take your kids home today. Don't leave them here. You all have done a very good job over the years of not letting us keep your kids. Let's keep that track record up and uh, take your kids home with you. Uh, at the end of the month, we always have snack night. Don't forget that's coming up uh, on Sunday night after church. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can buy you can buy something at Walmart. You can make something. You can not bring anything because we always have plenty of food, and you can just eat with us. But it's normally Sunday night after church on the last Sunday of the month where we just hang out together. Some of you will receive a letter from my office this week. Uh, if you're part of the leadership team, you, you know this, but it's coming up. We just want you to know about it. You'll get a letter for information. What I want you to really know is Easter is right around the corner. Can, can you believe it? I can't. I'm already like, oh, gosh, I have so much to do and show little time to get it done. And so Easter egg extravaganza is coming up. There will be food, games, inflatables, and snow cone machines, and chocolate, and candy, and cavities, and we even have first response on standby. I'm married to a nurse. If you break it, we'll fix you. You know, we got you covered. We're we're all all inclusive um, here. But uh, we're collecting candy and also uh, other things. Uh, we have a sign-up sheet in the back for two things. There are two sign-up sheets. One, sign up if you're willing to help us work. You know, every event we need people like someone to man the grill and make hot dogs. Uh, Brother Larry and Brother Mike, Brother Dennis, some of these guys. Last time, uh, they have got that grill working better than I have ever seen. It's so hot now, the hot dogs are cooked before we throw them on the grill. I don't know what they put in that thing, but the hot dogs are filled. When we open the pack, they cook. They ain't even on the grill yet. And uh, But but we need people's help in the kitchen. Miss Sandy or Miss Jeannie can give you more information. We need help in the kitchen. We need uh, a lot of the teenagers help me with getting the eggs out in the field and hiding them and doing all that stuff. Uh, for all the kids. We have uh, multiple hunts. We have it from birth to two. Then we have a group from three to five that gets to go. And then we have a group from six uh, to, I believe, it's nine or eight that goes. And then nine to 12 that year olds that go together so that we don't have some 12-year-old kid trucking your little Johnny at two. We keep them all separated. Everybody gets a chance to, to win a prize and all that stuff. But there's going to be hot dog buns and other things that we're going to be needing, but we have a sign-up sheet for you to either work, if possible, or if you want to donate things, like the assortment boxes of individual chips. We don't want 30 bags of big family-sized chips. We don't want to have to serve that. We want to hand them their chips and say, in the name of Jesus, go home. And that's what we want to do. And we love you. Come back tomorrow for cookies, but go home today. And so... We want them to have that. With that being said, the next day, you say, well, Pastor, why are you so? Because the next day is Easter, and I have to be up early. I want your kids to go home because I'm seeing the sunrise. So we have every year we have our sunrise service at the Tailrace Canal boating dock. It's such a beautiful experience. It's also cold every time. I don't know why Mother Nature does this, but when Easter weekend comes, we get a cold snap every year. Every time I've done Easter 
sunrise service, it drops to like 30-something degrees in that morning. So this is why I have on the screen for you to know, be mindful of the weather. Bring your chair, your blankets, a portable heater. I don't care. I don't provide those. So just if you want to come, we have a great time out there. And then obviously we'll have Easter Sunday together. If you don't want to come for sunrise, just come in general would be great. Come Easter Sunday We'll have our regular service, and then I'm going to do a nice thing. I'm going to let you have off on Sunday night because you weren't coming back anyway, but I was going to let you have off because you're going to be tired from a 7 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock, Sunday school, 11 o'clock. By 2 o'clock after your turkey, you're done. You're, you're, you're just done. So you're going to have time to spend with your family and friends. For all my seasoned saints in the room, you're not old, you're seasoned. Don't forget, we all, we're going to have another breakfast, and you can come. We're going to go to Chick-fil-A this time because their coffee's better than Hardy's. I went the last time and tried Hardy's coffee. I gave them a fair shot, church. They just don't make coffee very well. It's just not that good. So we're trying a different approach. So we're going to go to Chick-fil-A. We're going to rotate around, but we're doing that on Saturday the 25th at 8.30 in the morning. If you want to join us, if you meet us, that's great. We're just going to hang out like we did last time. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. So if you want to come hang out with us, have a cup of coffee or chicken minis or a biscuit, uh, come and uh, hang out with us. For those that are watching online, we're so glad to have you, and we're honored you're with us. Of course, everything I just told you is on the church website, so feel free to go read about it, or you can ask me after church about it. To all our first-time guests, if there are any, thank you for being with us today. We hope you feel right at home. To all our regulars, we hope you have a great time today as well. If you need anything, please let somebody know. One of the hospitality team members, some are in the nursery, some are outside, some are scattered in the auditorium. But if you need anything, please let us know. With that being said, for this time, I'm going to turn the service over to Brother Randy, who is going to not only do scripture and prayer, but he also will be singing for us this morning. So for all my people watching in Georgia and everywhere else, um, our address is 1211 North Highway 52. Send your love offering and put it in honor of Randy Erchberger, and I'll make sure he gets paid. So at this time, Brother Randy. Give me a raise, huh? Let's see, five times zero is, there you go, got it. Good morning. Love the Lord this morning. So quiet. After all that getting out and gathering and everybody shaking hands and all the joyful noise that was going up and all of a sudden it's like, This morning's Sunday School lesson. If you missed Sunday School this morning, uh, you missed an opportunity to get uplifted. And uh, I just, the more I studied this week, the more I uh, got happy. <laughs> and I don't know if it came through in the lesson this morning in my Sunday School class, but the Lord really touched me. And we'll talk about Bubba some other time. But the, uh, those in my Sunday school class know what I'm talking about. But this morning I'd like to read from Psalm 34 because it fit in with the Sunday school lesson this morning. I'm going to start with verse 13. It says, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them 
that are of a broken heart and save the such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I think there it ought to say Salah, but it doesn't in my Bible. Guard your tongue. Uh, James said it well in chapter 3 of James that we studied this morning, that the tongue can get you in trouble. The tongue can also get you out of trouble. But if you'll guard your tongue, love people, just deal with them in love, then uh, things will be a whole lot better. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lift up those that are sick, lift up those that can't be here for whatever reason, and uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name for this opportunity to come before you in prayer. Lord, we love you, we lift you up, we praise you, we give you all the things, Lord, that are due unto you. Pray you will help us this morning to do as you would have us to do. Touch those that are sick, be at their bedside, Lord. Reach over and just touch their brow. Heal them, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Pray that you will continue to abide with those that can't be here because of work or other issues that keep them away. I pray that you will be with them and keep them and lift them up. Be with us today, Lord, as we worship you. Be with me as I sing this song. I ask in Jesus' holy precious name, amen. This has been on my heart for a couple weeks. And uh, my wife said, well, just go ahead and sing it. And I said, I am. We're going to sing Amazing Grace.
Let's stand all over the house this morning. Psalmist David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. We're going to sing this new praise chorus uh, that came out in 2020. It just simply says, there's joy in the house of the Lord. So let's worship the Lord today. continue to worship. The Bible says the, or the, the scientists and historians tell us the greatest word that can ever be spoken, the highest form of praise is the word hallelujah. They say it's the same in every language and everybody, no matter what language you speak, you can declare hallelujah and everybody knows. And so this morning, we're going to sing a song that's called Hallelujah is Wonderful, meaning we're giving God the highest praise that we can give Him today. 
by saying to him, Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. So let's worship him together.
can you just lift your hands all over the house this morning? For he made this earth and all its fullness and all that I shall bring my God can do it. Oh, let's sing that line one more time. He made this earth with all its fullness. He made this earth. this morning, the solemn assembling of ourselves together to worship you. Father, we feel your presence in this house already. Father, we ask that, Lord, as we get ready to segue to the remaining portion of our service today, that, God, you would speak to our hearts in such a special way. God, we don't, there are people in here that have been battling migraines, but if they've got pain, you're a pain taker. There are people that are at home with migraines. There are people that, that deal with them on a frequent basis. There are people that are battling with back issues. There are people recovering from major back surgery. There's people that battle gout. There's people that are facing cancer. There are people that are having situations in their family where cancer has wrecked their body and they have gotten devastating news. But if they've got pain, you're a pain taker. If they've got chains that are bounding them of addictions, whether it's a chemical ha uh, substance or abuse or whether it's alcohol or drug related or whether it's sexual related, if they have any kind of God bondage that they're living in, if they've got chains, you are a chain breaker. If they Lord, feel they're lost and they don't know where to go to the left or to the right, you're the GPS. You know how to navigate them back towards you and you make a way where there seems to be no way. Father, you also, Lord, no matter what we go through, when we feel like, the Lord, we're just in, in trouble, God, you can give freedom. The, the Bible says there's liberty in the presence of the Lord. There's freedom in the house of the Lord. God, you can give, you can break the yoke and the bonds, and you can set the captive free. That's the God we serve. So truly, we know you can do absolutely anything, anything, because you are God and God alone. Sing it together. He made this earth in all its fullness and all that time shall bring. My God can do anything. As you remain in a spirit of worship, will you grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea, chapter number four? Hosea chapter number 4, I'm only going to read one verse of scripture and then I'll let you be seated after prayer. Hosea chapter number 4, we'll begin verse 1. I started back in February a series called Endless Love and I'm going to finish that today and then we'll springboard starting next week into the Easter season and I'll be preaching through the Easter message. That's why we've already got a lot of the Easter season colors and cross out. And I'm just going to tell you that I don't know if it'll be on Palm Sunday or it will be on Easter Sunday, but I'm going to go ahead and preface you. So if you don't come that Sunday, I'm going to know you don't want to be a part of it. It's going to hurt my feelings. Um, but there are some of you in this house that the enemy or 
and I don't I hate to give the devil credit for anything but he has given you a lot of curveballs over the last few months and weeks some of you have got family members that are facing cancer some in this body are facing cancer got devastating news some of you have gotten reports of declining health of family members that were in great health weeks and months earlier now things are changing and changing some of you in here have battled and still battle, and some in this church, some that are not here today, are battling with migraines, abdominal pains, and all sorts of issues. And I thought about doing it today, but I thought, no, I'm going to do it on Easter, around Easter. But I believe God is still in the business of miracles. I believe that. I've seen Him do it, and I know He can do it. So it'll, it'll either be on Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday, I haven't decided, but I'm going to give everybody in this house that Sunday morning a piece of paper I'm going to have them cut most of the pews have a lot of pews may have pens in them if not we'll make sure that the ushers give them out that Sunday and I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is I don't need to know what it is when I get done preaching that Sunday morning I'm going to have a container of push pins that are going to sit right here beside me and I'm not going to take it to the cross you are going to take it to the cross I'm not going to pray. You're going to tell God what you need. And if it's a migraine, you're going to come up here and grab a push pin from the preacher's jar and you're going to have it folded and you're going to push pin on this cross, symbolic telling Jesus, I'm giving migraines to you, Jesus. I'm giving cancer to you, Jesus. I'm giving my marriage to you, Jesus. I'm giving my heartache and my pain to you, Jesus. I'm giving my back pain to you, Jesus. I'm giving you my finances. And when you get done pinning it, I want you to leave there. So I'm giving you plenty of time to get your heart prepared. I want you to leave there. And instead of fretting about it, when you get done push pinning it, I want you to walk back with us to your seats to the front and say, Now, Jesus, I thank you. You're taking care of it right now. I don't want you to worry about it. I want you to thank Jesus because the Bible says you take it to the Lord and you leave it there. And when you give it to him at Calvary, we're going to leave it at Calvary because the Bible said when he died, he was put in the heart of the earth, but three days later he arose. So when you take migraines, you're going to bury migraines at the cross because on Easter he's going to resurrect you with better health. And he's going to resurrect you with better doctor's reports. And he's going to resurrect life back into your situation that you think right now is hopeless. That's what we're going to be doing. And so we're going to be headed on that journey. So make sure that you're here those weeks because... I believe God has a special miracle for each one that's willing to come and give it to God. I believe if God sees your heart, God will be moved with compassion on your behalf. You know, most of the miracles that happened in Jesus' ministry, Jesus didn't initiate them. The other person initiated Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy. People crying out to Jesus. They're bringing their children that are demon-possessed. They're bringing them to Jesus. Jesus didn't go find them. They came to him. So that Sunday, we're going to come to him, and we're going to give it to Jesus. But this morning, I am on task of an assignment to give you the final of this endless love, but I want to, before you can bring it to the cross of Calvary in a couple of weeks, I, I want to preach to you on where we are in the days that we're living today. And even though God is a God of endless love, sometimes you have to be a tough and, and exemplify tough love. Tough love is when you have to give the whipping when you don't want to, but you know it's necessary. Tough love is the restriction when you don't really want to take their car keys from them, but you know they need to learn from their mistakes. You you don't you love them, and because you love them, you have to make tough decisions and 
do tough things even though they may not like the outcome immediately because you love them so much. Can I tell you God's like that? Sometimes God has to be tough with us. We don't like it. But sometimes God knows what's best even when we don't. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord your God brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Look at what he says. Here's the charge. Here's, what I, here's the problem I have with you. This is what God's telling the people of Israel and Ephraim. There's no longer any truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Can I tell you, we're living in a land where people don't want the truth. They're not willing to show mercy. And they certainly don't want to learn anything because knowledge is power. They don't want to know because they're accountable once they know. Welcome to the United States of America. Now, unfortunately, as much as it pains me, I'm going to preach to you on a subject title today. When God has had enough. Now, this is not going to make you feel good. I'm warning you ahead of time. You're not going to feel good about this. I wasn't feeling good about it when I put this together with the help of the Holy Spirit. But there's coming a point when God's going to have had enough. He's going to have enough. Now you say, well, Pastor, we're going to be raptured out of here and go to glory. Yeah, but what happens in the meantime till that happens? Sometimes God has had enough. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Eternal Father, we come before you in this house today in the presence of your people. Father, we ask that you would speak to the hearts of the men and women in this house. You would help us to hear from heaven. God, this is a tough assignment, but I believe it is a necessary one you've charged me with today. I pray that you would help me preach the word of the Lord to the people of God for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Help us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers there likewise. Let eyes be open, ears be open, and hearts receptive to the message today. Don't let them see the pastor, but let them see Jesus speaking to them today. Go with us. Anoint a, take a coal from the altar of heaven and anoint this mortal man's lips of clay help me to preach like a man not in my own ability but in supernatural ability of the holy spirit of god for that i'll give you the praise the glory and the honor and the people of god together said amen you may be seated in the presence of the lord over the last few weeks i have been assigned the task before uh, we had a couple changing of the guards around here i was assigned the task of diving into the life and to the ministry of a prophet by the name of Hosea. We've navigated the twists and turns, and the plot twist of his life. We have discovered God had asked him to do some pretty outlandish things in the beginning of the writings of Hosea. But he knew that he did this to get a message across to the people of Israel, especially to one specific tribe, the tribe of Ephraim. We have talked about Hosea's life was anything but normal or smooth from having a life of marrying a prostitute to having kids with her to her running away back to her old promiscuous lifestyle for God requiring him to go back and to buy her off of the auctioning block, if you will. I mean, his life certainly did not exemplify smooth transition. You know, most churches today would not want the pastor's wife to also be known by everybody in town in a sexual manner. 
The reality of it is he did not have an easy road to hoe. You know, I wonder, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm certainly not going to put you on the spot as between you and the Lord. But I wonder if anybody in this room has ever felt like your life was spiraling out of control. I wonder has anybody ever in this room ever felt like things seemingly only got worse before they ever got better. I wonder if some people in here would ever be honest enough with themselves and even internally before God and admit that sometimes life doesn't always go the way you planned it to go. That marriage didn't go the way you planned it to go. That divorce you didn't see coming, but it happened. That blended family you had to, that you, you created, you didn't realize the twists and the turns and the challenges it would bring. And that, that job that you took because the grass looked greener on the other side ended up being a septic tank rather than a good job. Hello, preacher. Hey, I've been out a couple weeks. i got a lot to get off my chest. By next week, I'll be nice again. But the reality of it is, if you live long enough on this earth, there's going to be things in your life you're going to realize that's not the plan I thought this was going to be. Life is always full of unexpected detours and rerouting. It's like having a GPS that constantly tells you in three quarters of a mile, make a left turn. You're like, that's not where I'm supposed to go. And you turn and it goes recomputing, rerouting. And you're like, I knew that to start with. Life is always about detours and twists and turns. Nothing is more frustrating. When they change a street to a one-way street and GPS was not notified of that. I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm just telling you it's very challenging. Because when GPS fails you, well, you can't depend on them, and GPS didn't get notified, Charleston decided they wanted another one-way street because we didn't have enough of those already downtown. Now when GPS says turn left and you turn left only to realize there are people coming towards you. (laughs) You have a choice to make. Again, not speaking from experience, but if they were in that person's shoes, it's really embarrassing to have to back up all the way through traffic because they're coming and you can't go. So you have to now back up your way all the way back through the intersection and try to figure out how to three-point turn on a cobblestone street where there's not enough room between you and the building on each side of you to turn around. Again, not speaking from experience, but it's challenging. Just want you to know. GPS did not notify that. That would have been good to know. It was embarrassing. It was mortifying. Life is like that. Sometimes you don't see anything coming and it hits you and you're like, that was not what I saw coming. Life is full of heartaches and pains, plot twists and turns. But can I tell you this morning that even when life is full of twists and turns, ups and downs, lefts and rights, God remains constant no matter which way it goes. The wind can blow, the storm the storm can rage, the wind can howl, the, the lightning can flash, the thunder can roll, the, the boat can feel like it's capsizing, but Jesus can still fall asleep. He's not worried. It can be the most tranquil of waters. I told you a couple weeks ago that, that when Brian and I went to California, I have never been on a boat or airplane that was so miserable in all my life. I have done those all my life, been on all of them all my life, never had to take motion sickness. That was the boats from Satan that I rode this past couple weeks. Those things. Those waters were choppy. I thought I felt like Jonah, throw me overboard, let a fish eat me, and let's see if this turns out to be a better story. That's where I was at at that moment. I was that close. You know. But I believed, you know, in that moment, I, I, I thought about when I knew where the Lord was going to be taking us for the next couple of weeks, I, I started thinking about this sermon even there on that boat when I could see everything of my life flashing before my eyes and could taste everything I'd eaten over the last month in my stomach. I thought to myself, you know, even if Jesus was able to sleep through this mess, 
when this happened in Jesus' time period, Jesus fell asleep. Sleep was the last thing I was thinking about. I was thinking about how not to barf on the lady beside me from Russia. I didn't know how to explain her in English. Sorry for my throw up. I don't know that in Russian. I was going to have to Google translate that. I didn't know the answer to that. But Jesus was able, even in the chaos, he could sleep. But even when life is perfect, mountaintop experiences, the waters are tranquil, everything's perfect, Jesus remains the same. When life goes chaotic, God doesn't lose his marbles. God stays consistent through it all. So no matter where you are today, you may come in today and say, Pastor, I'm at the best place I've ever been spiritually. I'm at the best place I am in my life. My family's doing great. My children are doing great. My grandkids are doing great. They're all in sports. They're straight A students. You may come in today and say, life is great. Well, praise God. He's consistent with you. But some of you in here may say, Pastor, I'm dealing with abdominal pain, migraines, heartaches, pains. My marriage is falling apart. My children are one way or the other. And I've got a lot on my plate. Can I tell you God's in that too? He is just the same. He's right there with you. He doesn't get caught off guard or surprised. So the question begs to be asked, if God is consistent like that, what was it that made God so angry? So frustrated that he wanted to, if you will, enact such judgment on the people of Israel and the tribe of Ephraim. What made God have enough? What is that breaking point to God? I'm not talking about God's good. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the Bible does also say that at times he gave them up to their own reprobate mind. He let them have it themselves. Israel wanted a king. He said this is not a good idea. They wouldn't shut up about it. So you know what he gave him? Saul. He didn't want that, but he gave them to them because that's what they wanted. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Rome, and he said sometimes God just removes his spirit. He just lets them do it. They want, they want to fight him, and he'll eventually be a gentleman and back off and let them just do their thing. There is a point where God has had enough. Every parent has that breaking point. If you've ever had children, or maybe you've watched other people's children, and you've you realize by watching their children, oh, God, I don't want children of my own, uh, you know. But if you don't, if you've never felt that experience, let me introduce you to where can our children teach you this? You'll learn, you'll learn whether or not you really want children real quick. <laughs> They're from all shapes and sizes and personalities. You don't know which one you're going to get. Life is like a box of chocolate, old Forrest said. You never know which one you're going to get. That's kind of how children's church is here. You don't know which kid you're going to get that Sunday. But the reality of it is, when we talk about it, there are times where God has had enough. The Bible, even when we talk about the rapture of the church, do you know that really means God has had enough? We're going to get out of here, and the Bible says he's going to destroy the earth, not with a flood, but with fire. And he's going to pour the bold judgments and wreak havoc on the earth. Do you know what he's really doing? God's saying, all right, I've had enough. I'm done. And he's going to pour out judgments. Read the end of the story. Read Revelation. It doesn't start out so pretty. All those bold judgments, they don't sound all warm and fuzzy and put me in a blanket. They are not fun. You know why he's doing it? Because God has had enough by that point. He says, that's it. I'm going to wipe out part of the population. I'm going to send pestilence and diseases. God said, I've had enough. Parents get like that. Now, some parents, they can last for hours. But some parents can't last five seconds. <laughs> Little Johnny comes in the house and it's already game on. You see him coming through the house and you already feel your blood pressure change. The other person sitting in the room in the lazy boy recliner going, because he's a boy. A boy will be a boy. What do you want him to do? 
I know he broke your car window, but I can't fix it by fussing about it. He's a boy. And you're in there like, I'll show you a boy. You know, everybody has their breaking point. Here's what some of the things I have discovered in my own study. And when you want to teach one Sunday, by all means, come and share with me. But I'm going to give you three things, I think, this morning when God has had enough. The first thing I want you to understand is there comes a point God gets tired of ignorance. Ignorance is not an excuse. You know, you heard the old adage, ignorance is bliss. No, no. Ignorance is not an excuse for not for why not to follow the things of God. In fact, you can say, well, the preacher didn't tell me. My Sunday school teacher didn't tell me about it. They didn't teach it. the right. I never heard that before. There is a thing called the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. See, the reality of it is um, you can read for yourself. Hello. If you only expect me to tell you, or Brother Randy or Brother Marion or Sister Sandy or whoever's teaching to tell you, then we already got a problem coming right out the gate because the devil's going to take that from you within milliseconds of you walking out of this building. The reality of it is you can't say when you get to heaven one day before God and He gives a, you have to give an account for why you did what you did on earth. You can't say, well, I didn't know God. That's not a good excuse. Remember, number one, He gave you His word, the written word. And number two, the Bible makes it very clear. He's not going to return until everybody has had the opportunity to at least once hear the gospel because He's not going to let anybody be able to say, I did not know. So that's not an excuse. In Hosea 4 and 6, the Bible says this. My people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. So I will also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God and I will also forget your children. I mean, that sounds like to me God's had enough. I don't know how you read that, but if I was writing the Bible or, or pinning it and not putting it in KJV but at JKV, I would say this, it would be this, I've had enough of your ignorance, I've had enough of you playing mind games, saying you don't know, and since you don't want to have nothing to do with me, I'm not going to have nothing to do with you, because you keep saying that I don't have to listen to this, and I don't have to listen to that, so you know what, I'm not going to listen either, that's, that's my version, and you read however you want to, but that sounds like when God says, I'm rejecting you too, that sounds like he's had enough. It's kind of like when your mama says, I don't want to hear one more word. Uh, most of the time, she actually means that, church. <laughs> I know from experience. I'm a very quiet, docile personality, but every once in a while, I would want to respond to my mother's, this is, I don't want to hear another word. It was like in that moment, I remembered a word I didn't say yet. It was like, but wait, I haven't said this part of my speech yet. Jonathan, I'm going to tell you, that's last time. I don't want to hear another word, but that word came to my remembrance. The Holy Spirit brought to my remembrance in that self-singing hour. I remembered I also remember the repercussions after that, too, for years. I still sit in certain ways because my sciatic bothers me. But the reality of it is, you can't use ignorance as an excuse. You see, Ephraim was well advanced above all her counterparts. She, had, she boasted magnificent uh, talents or structures of architects. She had beautiful gardens that talked about the abilities of their horticulturalists. She had cattle that were the prize. Of I mean, she was a well-oiled machine, a prize society. The wealth of the tribe of Ephraim was insurmountable, but she had one problem. She had forgotten God. You can be a multimillionaire, but you forget God, your money won't do you a hill of beans when you get across the other side. 
You can't buy your way to heaven, and you certainly can't buy a ticket without the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't buy your way there. In fact, God already gave a stark warning. In Deuteronomy 6 and 12, he told them, Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He told them, Do not forget what I've done for you. I wonder how many people, not just in church, I won't even say our church, I'll say universal church, around the world. I wonder how many people go to church every Sunday or every Sunday night or every Wednesday or whenever their church meets, and they come for social gatherings and to hang out and all this stuff, but I wonder how many people come to church and they've actually forgotten about how far God brought them. They don't praise God like they used to when they were first saved. Oh, I'm going to go somewhere here in just a moment. I'm feeling decided, I feel decided, I've decided, I feel the urge to preach now. I've been setting this up. See, when the person first gets saved, oh, they don't mind if people see them cry in the altar. They don't mind people seeing them lift their hands. When a person first gets that, that desire for Jesus Christ and their life has changed, oh, they don't mind shouting unto God with a voice of triumph and shouting unto God with a voice of praise. They don't mind people knowing that they're on fire for God. But something happens. The cares of life and their family and their marriage and their jobs and their children, something happens and the more seasoned they get and the more advanced they get in their journey of faith seems like the quiet their praise becomes and the church went silent see I'd look at that God confirmed it right then look at the church thank you because the more we have been in this thing called the way it seems like the more we have actually lost our way because I don't re maybe I'm wrong and please correct me when this service is over if I am but I don't think God's blessing stopped after you first got saved. As far, as far as I'm concerned, I think he did a lot for you to get you here this morning too. So obviously he's still doing his part. Guess who's not doing their part? Hello? See, some people, they have put their knowledge in everything else but God. They put their, their if you will, their energies, their their. their Talents, abilities, and their spouses, their homes, their jobs, their, the, you know, their, the, the people, their careers. They have tried to gain all. They've gotten three or four degrees. They're doing all these things. They, they, are, they are trying to find voids, but in all the wrong places. You know, today you could probably ask any kid or teenager, what's the number one or top five song right now in the world? What's, what's the top songs right now? Man, they could spit them off to you. They could sing you the songs. In fact, this past weekend I had to illustrious, humbling experience to do home missions project by chaperoning high school proms. That is a Satan. That's the worst thing you can ever do in your life. I used to, you know, when I was a kid, teenager, I thought it was the coolest thing. Look at that. That's the dumbest thing to ever have to go do, especially when you're old. You don't have the energy to keep up with these kids. I watched last night some of these kids. They put songs on there that were old songs, songs I remember when I was a kid. I mean, whatever. These kids are like, what is this? What's this? I don't know this song. What's this song? I'm thinking, what? They put some song on there. I couldn't even, I couldn't, I couldn't even pronounce the guy's name who sings the song. I don't even know how he, 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 it was so phonetically off. The spelling was so off. It was like multiple letters thrown together and they somehow call him a name that I don't know how to pronounce. And I'm like, that sounds like a curse word if I said that. I can't say that. I'm a preacher. And, 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 and I don't know. And he's singing songs and all I have. I mean, I'm like, oh, my God, he actually says words. What is this mess? And, and they gave, they started the little karaoke thing in their hand. And all these kids are over there. Oh, show me the money. And I'm like, I don't have no money. I don't know no money. 
They're singing some song. Some kids are out there, and they're singing some song. Show me the money. I'm like, you don't, you don't have money. You're a kid. You don't have money. That's my money you're using. You don't even have money. And they're singing all the latest and greatest songs. I guarantee you I could take those same kids, talk about video games, video game systems, fashion. Oh, they could give me all the tips. I could probably ask some of them to name me their favorite sports team, give me stats of their favorite sports team, tell me who those people are. They probably could give me lots of information. I, name, I asked them to name me the first five books of the Bible, and they go, what? Not all 66. Just give me the first five. Give me six out of 12 disciples, and they're going to be like, oh. They have all the knowledge. They know things. They, 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 they have ability to comprehend, but they put their knowledge in all the wrong places. You say, you, you might think you're the greatest painter of all time until your painting comes up against someone like Picasso or Rembrandt. You'll figure out real quick, you're not as good of a painter as you thought you were. Can I tell you, we can think we're good all we want to, but until we, our lives are put on display against the perfect portrait of humanity, Jesus Christ, when we compare our lives to his life, we realize we're really not all that good compared to what Jesus was able to do. You can, know, you can be the finest of jewelers. You might know all about the greatest of, of every diamond and every sapphire and every ruby. You might be able to know all these great things and have all this knowledge, but nothing is as expensive as the pearl of great price. You can't put a price tag on that. You can be a master builder, the greatest of all engineers, have the brightest architectural mind of all time, but until you come into contact with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, you really don't know how to build a program. You don't know how to build a house. Unless the house is built on the rock, and I'm not talking about going out here and building a house for yourself. I'm talking about you can build the Taj Mahal of your life, but if you're not built on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, you're a sorry architect. Because your house, not the physical... But your temple, your body, the, the, the embodiment of who you are, one day, if it's not built on Jesus Christ, it's going to be destroyed and decay right before your eyes. You can have a green thumb and be a master gardener, but until you've experienced the sweet rose of Sharon and the presence of him in your life, you don't really understand what it means to be in the garden with him. America, in my opinion, has become an ignorant nation. They were like Ephraim. They had learned how to do all this big stuff and be well off in a well advanced society, but they rejected God in the process. Prayer is out. The Bible is out. In essence, God is out. Murder is in. Gender dysphoria is in. Sexual identity, role confusion, drug smuggling, alcohol, church apostasy. All that is in while God somehow got kicked out. Psalmist, the psalmist in Psalms 9 and 17 said, The wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. If we're not careful, we're walking a dangerous road as a nation. We're headed for destruction. I didn't say it. It said, The wicked shall be turned to hell and all the nations that forget God. We are on the cusp of that right now. We're on the verge. And the second thing I thought about is not only has ignorance caused God to be had enough, but when you put anything before him, he, that makes him have enough. He's not going to fight the first chair. He's just not. I'm not talking about a little Buddha wooden statue that you go down and burn about 14 candles and say a couple little incantations with the candles lit. I'm not talking about that kind of idolatry. I'm talking about what is the things in your life that you put before God every day. I'm not talking about your little statue. I'm talking about the other things. 
because God's not going to fight for first chair. He's too much of a gentleman. You don't. You want a king, Israel? I'll give you a king. I don't want that, but if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. And it backfired on them majorly. And I tell you, if we're not careful, it'll backfire on us too in our walk. Hosea chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, My people ask counsel from their wooden idols. Their staff informs them the spirit of, uh, the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against the Lord their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops. They burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry. Your brides commit adultery. Ephraim is joined to idols. And what does God say? Here he is. He's had enough. He says, and I've had enough. Leave them alone. What is God saying? I'm not bothered with them no more. I'm done. Oh, I do not want God to look down from the portals of glory and see 1211 Highway 52 in Monk's Corner and finally get to a point to say, I'm done. I'm done moving. I'm done doing miracles. I'm done blessing them. They're ungrateful. They don't care. They don't want it. They don't seem to buy. It's like they've got their own way, their own way of doing things. I never want it to be said anywhere that I serve for God to be able to look down and say, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. I don't want that. I'm done. You see, they have this issue because I want you to understand that. You just preach it carefully. God is not playing games. God is a jealous God. He does not play games. The very first commandment he ever gave had nothing to do with you and your friend, your spouse. The first commandment says this. There shall be no other God before me. The first one. We can't even get the other nine started until we realize the first one says nothing should take God's place. And yet that's exactly what we're allowing to happen on our watch. Everything else. Church attendance is dropping. People don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to know truth. They, Like I read to you in Hosea 4 and 1, they don't want to know truth. They don't want to know knowledge. They don't want to be accountable. They want anything else but God, and that's the problem. When you move God out of the equation and fill it with everything else but God, it all goes awry. It goes to pots. It's, it's, it doesn't work. Many nations have served many other gods. In India... There are over one million gods and idols in the country of India. Haiti is based in satanic worship and rituals. Voodoo is practiced. And in the mountain regions, there are reports of over 500 different names of spirits and idols in that region. But you'd say, well, pastor, that certainly cannot be true about the good old red, white, and blue. Oh, but it is. Every day it seems like a new religion, a new belief system springs up like a dandelion on the side of a hill. Scientology. Now we've got all these people that are having transgender church. And they're using the word transformation as the springboard to their church. In fact, one pastor calls his church when he was preaching a message. He said, I openly welcome them. I can't say that. And I, I don't believe that they're erring at all because... They, you know, we use the term transgender, but our church is the transformation church. So trans are just a part of our DNA. I don't really care if he watches my live stream or not, but he's playing with fire because that's a lie from hell. So he can get mad, sad, or glad. When God transforms you, he doesn't share with all that other filth inside. God can't live in an unclean temple, so there's no way they can be transformed and still do what they're doing. That doesn't work. 
but the work. I'm not saying people don't need to hear the gospel. I'm telling you, don't you let the unholy and the holy try to be put in the same category because it does not matter. That does not work. You say, well, pastor, how do we, how do we bow down to you? You talk about idols. So what, what do you mean we have idols in our lives? We don't do all that voodoo and we don't do all of that satanic worship. We don't, we don't bow down to wooden structures. We don't have, we, we have Yahweh. We have Jehovah Jireh, the provider. We have God. We, we're, we're church of God. My God, preacher, we are Pentecostal. We've been around since 1886. We are fire-breathed, Holy Ghost, baptized, shouting, speaking in tongues, spit, knock you in the floor. I mean, we holiness people. We don't do it. I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you how we do it. Most of us bow down to an idol that is no, no bigger than six inches by three inches. It controls every attitude you have towards yourself and others. It controls every decision you make. You say, well, pastor, what is it? Money. Your wallet. Because I'm going to tell you right now, money talks. Money talks. I'm not talking about people that, have, please don't say, well, Pastor, you're saying I can't go work because uh, jobs and on Sundays and things like that. If I'm, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. But when you let the love of money become more important than God, the Bible says the love of money becomes the root of all forms of evil. Money does not buy happiness, and it certainly don't buy you a ticket to heaven. Be careful. The grass that's greener on the other side may be full of you-know-what underneath it because it's a septic tank. Hello, preacher. You say, well, Pastor, I don't, that's not my idol. Well, good. Let's see if you have one of these. Some idols have fireplaces. We call these vacation rentals and homes. Some idols float on the water. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a little tickle in my throat there. I, I don't know why it just happened at that moment. Some idols roll down the road on four wheels when they can't pay their tithe, but they can make a $500 a month car payment because they want to drive in luxury rather than giving to God. Well, I knew that we wouldn't be Pentecostal long today. So glad I wore my big boy pants today. Some of our idols are nestled in our hands at this very moment because while I'm preaching, you're doing anything else but listening. See, you think that when I stand behind this pulpit, I can't see that you're Snapchatting. But I can. I just don't call you out by name. Because one day God will call your name and you better be, it's like a game of hide and go seek. When he says, ready or not, here I come. You're going to find out whether you are ready or not when he comes. Some of us, our idols are these. They're so smart, they're so technologically advanced, they're so great. Why do we need God? We have Google. We have a different form of the capital G. It's called Google. Google can tell me everything I want. It navigates us from point A to point B. I can say, hey, Siri, or hey, this, and it'll, it'll answer me. Give me my answer. Instead of going to God, I can just ask Google. How do I combat headaches? Ask Google. How do I save my marriage? Ask Google. How do I get a better promotion, God? Ask Google. How do I live my best life now and be able to become a multimillionaire? Ask Google. Google can tell you all the things you want to, but Google doesn't know the power that God has and the ability of God. 
Google might can tell you to take two ibuprofen, two Advil, two aspirin, lay down, drink a cup of water, rub your temples three times, push your head sideways, put an ice pack on it, have somebody hold you and dang you up by your feet so that all the blood rushes to your head and flip you upside down real fast so all the blood leaves. They can tell you all they want to, but you know what? Before too long, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back. But when God takes care of it, it doesn't have to come back at all. Ask Google about that one. Ask, ask Google. The reality of it is some people's idols are made of diamonds. I'm not talking just about physical diamonds. I mean jewelry and things. I'm talking about things of wealth. Some people's idols are not visible, but they're idols of anger, bitterness, and resentment, and they use those to their, their, their advantage on why they can't do things for God because they're so angry and bitter or resentful of something that happened to them 20 years in the rear. It isn't God's fault that man screws up, but God takes the fall for everybody else's mistakes. Sometimes the biggest idol you have to face is yourself. You put you before God. In fact, David Wilkerson, the greatest, a great revivalist and Pentecostal preacher in New York, in one of his books, he said America's biggest idol is the television. Hello, preacher. Miss Kelly, you better come because I'm going to be not. I'm not going to have a job when this is over. You know why he said it was the biggest idol and. In America? Because when a TV is in the room, all the chairs face the TV, not the chase of the uh, faces the way. Nobody, go, go into a room that has a TV, see how all the furniture is laid out. It's not away from the TV. They're all centered, and they all are done so that in any points of sitting, you can see the TV. When the TV turns on, everybody gets quiet because they want to know what it's going to say. People with various poverty levels can part ways with all kinds of stuff, but don't take their television. They can't afford groceries, but they can afford HBO. Hello, preacher. Ezekiel said, The priests have violated God's law and profaned the holy things. They have not distinguished between that which is holy and unholy. They have not made known the difference between the clean and the unclean. They have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, so I will profane them. It is a dangerous place when you try to trade holy for unholy things. Boy, wouldn't it be nice when everybody came to church? It was like being in a room with television. Everybody else, when God walked into the room, they wanted to make sure that they were seated all around where Jesus was in the center of it all. And every time he spoke, we all shut up so he could talk. Nothing drives it. Listen, I am really, I have become a professional at this. I'm not proud of it, but it is quite the talent. You guys can all have 16 conversations going on at the same time, and I can be involved in a conversation with somebody else. And if you come back to me and say, Pastor, did you hear what I said? I can. I have this innate ability to process everybody's conversations at once. I think it's because my entire family, none know how to be quiet. So we all just talk over each other, and then you better hope you heard it because nobody's going to stop what they're saying to hear what you have to say. So you better listen. Now, some people will say, whoa, 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 one person at a time. I can't hear everybody. I mean, one person, you know, Miss Carol's speaking. Everybody else is to be quiet. I, I can't hear everybody one, but once at a time. I don't have to say that. I hear it all. Now, that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, but I'm just saying. 
In our lives, sometimes we try to out-talk or over-talk God. God's trying to talk, but His voice is in a still, small voice, and we're trying to over-talk Him by figuring it out rather than being quiet long enough to hear what God had to say about it. My final thing, and I'm done. Immorality. Here's what he said. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have committed harlotry, adultery. Israel is defied. There are two times in Scripture where God was so enraged at the people of earth because of immorality that he said, I've had enough, and he done something about it. I'll give you those two really quick. The first time God was so enraged where he said, I've just had enough doing this anymore. In the book of Genesis, he's walking to and fro the earth and he finds a man by the name of Noah. The Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said, Noah, get your wife, get your kids, get your daughter-in-laws, build a boat, and shut the door because I'm getting ready to unleash a pretty hard judgment. And he wiped out the earth. Wiped it off like a clean slate. In fact, in the book of Genesis, there's a scripture that said God regretted the day he ever made man. Could you imagine if you were sitting in heaven and you heard God said, I wish I'd have never created him? Hello? How would you feel if your mom and daddy walked in the room and said, I wish you weren't my kid? <laughs> wow. The second time this happens is a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, I have had enough of their wickedness. I'm not doing this anymore. And he wiped them out. Many years ago, somebody said this with all the wickedness that was going on in the world back then, and it wasn't even near as what it is today. Somebody said this, if God doesn't bring America to judgment, he will have to issue an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah for doing it to them. Think about that for a moment. If God doesn't hold the red, white, and blue accountable, he should owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah for what he did to them. Because I'm going to tell you right now, we are about as closest thing to Sodom and Gomorrah as there ever has been. When you don't know if you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, which bathroom to go in, you're 13 years old, and the government can tell you how to rechange your sexual hormones and structures. Your mama and daddy can change. They can make the decision before you even have the ability to make it. They can make, at birth, they can go ahead and fix you if their parents wanted to fix you. You can't tell me we're not more wicked than that. I mean, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah could have been much more wicked than that. We are in a bad place, church. And it's not getting better. I'm telling you, God is to the point he's about to have had enough. It's not going to end well. He better make sure we're on the good side, not the bad. You know, I, I posed this question to myself the other day. I said, you know, Jonathan, when is the last time you blushed at something? Now, at first I thought, well, maybe it's when, you know, I've been embarrassed. But, you know, I'm really not, that's not really a hard thing for me. The embarrassment's not my strong point. I don't really get embarrassed that well. My wife, I can just sneeze twice in public. She's embarrassed hiding in clothes closet. She thinks I'm just going to get attention, and she's hiding behind the clothes rack. She's blushing right now because it's the truth. I'm only a hood yelling across the target parking lot, Hey, girl, how you doing? 
slip and fall on wet tile, I'm going to laugh. It's funny. It is funny. I may be hurt, but it's funny. I'm not going to sue you. I'm going to laugh. My wife's going to leave me there and hope that the EMS picks me up. She's not staying. That's okay. She's embarrassed. You know, it used to be when we'd blush when our young love would whisper sweet nothings in our ears or tell us how beautiful we are or say you're the most beautiful girl in the world or whatever. You know, we would blush when, you know, somebody would warm our heart by saying something so sweet or a child would come and say something so sweet and make our cheeks rosy. Used to, there was a thing called someone could say something so off the wall or crude that it would make us blush that they would even say that in mixed company. Nowadays, it seems like nothing makes us blush. People can curse, use God's name in vain, say the most crude. In the song, use words and and, and use nomenclature and, and, and vocabulary that is nothing but vile. And it doesn't move. It doesn't bother us. We just sit there and take it in like it's nothing. In fact, a lot of times we'll sing along with it if we're not careful. We have learned to laugh at sin. Many comedies today are full of such vulgarity that people laugh at adultery now rather than be broken at it. People laugh at fornication rather than ask for repentance. People think homosexuality is great and should be lauded be brought to a foot of a cross for repentance you can go to jail for killing an endangered bird or species or harming a rodent but a few years ago you could wait all the way up to birthday and kill your child and no repercussions from it don't tell me we're a good people when we're killing rodents and sending them to jail but babies lives don't matter anymore now they're doing this. I, I know time. I'm going to let you go, but, but I have to get this off my chest. They're now, since we can't really do abortions like we used to, now they're instructing medical personnel and other people. They're trying to tell you how to do it to yourself. Overdose on this drug. Take extra birth control because the release of extra hormones will, will either deform the baby or kill the baby. Take the plan B. Take extra vitamin this. or vitamin. They're telling you how to do it at home so you don't have to come in. Don't tell me we're good people. Don't tell me we're a nation under God. We're far, far from it. You can get on a telephone call and after a primetime television show is giving you a number to call. and You can look at vile commercials that promote different sexual ideologies on television. You can call these phone numbers and have all of these euphoric experiences over the phone you can pay extra money on your cable bill and have porn sit right into your house for just a fraction of dollars a month it can come right to your television public schools teach family life education and instead of telling your kids to wait and get married and decide to have that that relationship that covenant with they just tell them be safe if you're going to have sex just be safe with don't do it till you're married. That's against God's command. There's no safe sex except marital sex. I don't care who you are. There is no other way. God's way is the way. Our society is filled with gender dysphoria literature, sexually promoted agendas, full of lies, deceits, and confusion. It has people not even knowing what they are anymore. 
I'm telling you, we're living in perilous times. Oh, we like to sing things like God bless America. But the only way God's going to bless it is if we repent first. Because he can't bless sin. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I listen to what they've got to say. But not until they ask for forgiveness first. And I'm reminded of this, and I'm done. Famous Christian contemporary artist and singer, Carmen Luciradella. Nobody knew how to pronounce his last name. He was Italian, so everybody just called him Carmen. It's easier. He penned a song years ago. Now he's been, he died back during the COVID years. I think it was 2020 or 2021. He penned a song. And I don't even know back in the 90s when he penned it if he actually even realized what he was saying to the magnitude of what it would mean today. Because back then, world was, in his eyes, pretty rough, but it was near, near as bad as it is today. Now, I'm not going to quote you the whole song. I'm just going to quote you his chorus of the song. Here's what he said. The only hope for America is Jesus. The only hope for our country is Him. If we repent from our ways, stand up and say, we need God in America. I know he's not here, but boy, that song, his song is more prophetic now than it's ever been. The only hope for our country is him, not the government. The only hope for America is not your political alliance. It is Jesus. And the only way it's going to get better is if even the church says, God, we have done wrong. We've not done what we're supposed to do. And we repent, turn back and say, we need you, God, back in our life again. Now, you come in a couple weeks and know you're your miracle that you need to the cross I'm just going to go ahead and drop a bomb on you real quick God's not going to answer it if you aren't in good standing with him now, I, I issue this as a challenge but also as a pastoral warning to everyone in this building and then I'm going to pray God does have a breaking point and I would not want anybody in this building to miss out their miracle or their breakthrough because you pushed God to his breaking point where he says, leave them alone. I just read it to you in Isaiah chapter 4. I read it to you. He said about Ephraim, he said, I'm to the point now, I'm going to leave them alone. Some of us in this building, you have needs you need God to meet. But don't push God to the point where he has to say, I'm going to leave them alone. There is a time when God is going to have had Every head bowed and every eye closed. If there's someone here today before I close and say, Pastor, I, I want to make sure that I'm right with God. I want to make sure that my relationship with God, I want to make sure that I am saved and I am, I'm going to heaven and that God and I are on good terms. I want to make sure that I'm okay. But if you'd like me to pray to you about that, I'm not going to embarrass you. If you just slip your hand up, I want to make sure that you don't want anybody to leave and not think that God is not in their house and in their life. I'm going to ask this last question. I wonder if anybody would say in this house today, Pastor, I have a sincere need. I don't need you to come tell me. But you say, Pastor, I have a sincere need. And 
I want to you to pray for me and us pray together that not only does God meet that need but I want to make sure that I stay in good graces with him and I want to make sure that me and him are okay in the sense of I don't want to push God to his breaking point and I have a need I want God to know not only do I have a need, but I know he's able to supply all my needs according to his riches. When anybody, no one looking around, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I have a need today, and I need God. Yes, let's see that hand up there. Any others? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house. Normally, I bring you up here. No, I don't have a problem having altar calls. I normally bring you up here. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, if you have someone that you is standing beside, you don't mind, I want you to grab them by the hand. Make sure you have a point of contact. If someone is standing that doesn't have somebody's hand to hold, hold their hand. We don't want anybody without a point of contact. We don't want anybody, we don't want anybody not to have contact. You don't know who raised their hand. Only God knows. But can I tell you, that's the only person who needs to know. Because God knows. So I'm going to pray, but I want you to pray for the person to your right or to your left of you. You may not know them by name. It might just be dear brother or dear sister. 